As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes adult film stars, and sportsman drag racers. Big Jed is in Alabama, recently back from Augusta. I'm in Las Vegas. Shouts to Jeff Foster for use of the conference room here to record the podcast. Big Jed, how's things in your part of the world? Luke, it's really, really good. As you mentioned, uh, just got back from Augusta, spent the day over there yesterday. That was a good time. Uh, had a blast at the Masters for a practice round. You're in Las Vegas. You're at the, the epicenter of racing. I was at the epicenter of golf. I don't know if epicenter fits right there, but I think it does. But, I mean, we were really in two very special places at the same time, and we've got discussions about all of that, and we're going to talk about bracket racing. We're going to talk about basketball. We're going to talk about a little bit of everything in this show. So this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed really has it all. As most of our episodes do. It's funny, off air, we were talking a little bit about how the Masters, like most golf tournaments, but particularly when you get into a, a, that elite of a class, there will be a, a, a golfer or two, an, an unknown that, that will make a run and make things interesting. But by and large, you gave some stat, Big Jed, that you know, for X number of years, the, the winner has come from the top 25 on the money list or something like that. Like ultimately yeah. you can narrow down the, the, the likely uh, participants. I think largely the same is the case with 
the million dollar race or more specifically what we've got upcoming out here, the spring fling million. So we try to draw that correlation. We'll make some bold predictions uh, for not only for the upcoming spring fling million, but also for the big event this weekend, uh, two fifty granders and a 100 grander down in Montgomery, Alabama at Capital City Motorsports Park. Uh, so that with a little bit of master's recap, we'll tie a nice little bow around our final four and the fun that we had with that. Plus, uh, you know, we'll preview those upcoming events and give some thoughts as far as uh, what we think the uh, the crowd will look like and all of the variables that are going into that uh, at both events. So all that and more. But first. Be jizzle for rizzle. All right, Luke. So we've got quite a variety of topics to talk about today. I mean, we, we've got a little bit of everything. We've got how our final four basketball tournament tied into uh, inventions within racing. We've got actual racing on the track in HRA. We've got actual racing on the track in the bracket side. And we're going to preview some big bracket races coming up. But, uh, you know, we don't typically talk golf on the show, but oh my gosh, man, oh, yeah. the Masters, it's Masters time. It is, it is the time for golf fans. It is the most exclusive, desirable, watchable tournament in golf. And it's in Augusta, Georgia. And we don't talk much about golf here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And to be honest, I had no intentions of talking about golf today. Until we got on pre-show and I learned how you spent your Monday. Yeah, it was kind of a hum humble brag, um, not <laughs> without the humble part. Uh, yeah, so I work for the Caterpillar dealer, as many of our listeners and, and friends know, and I have done that for a little over 32 years now. And I'm a, I'm a regional sales and operations manager, so I, I touch our customers a lot. I have relationships with customers that have lasted decades, and, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in a role where I get to entertain some customers at times, and the company that I work for uh, must have run out of people to, to send over to Augusta yesterday to take care of some customers and entertain them and show them a good time. They picked me. So I got to go to a Monday practice round at Augusta National, and it was a it was a rough day. It was 78 and sunny, and it was absolutely perfect weather. And you know we had uh, member guest passes where we got to go kind of behind the ropes and go in the because the owner the owner of my company is a member, so we got to go behind the ropes and go in the member gift shop and just do some things that everybody doesn't get to do. And I certainly don't say that braggadocious. I'm, I'm very appreciative of it, but it was really cool day, Luke. I mean, just you're there. There was probably 40,000 people there, I'm guessing, but it was absolutely packed, slammed on a Monday with every nationality that you could picture in your head or hear when you hear people talking, you're, they're standing right by you and, you know, they're talking a language. You don't even really know what they're speaking. So just people come from all over the world to see this and view it. And, and I was uh, fortunate enough to get to be in the group yesterday. It was doing that. And it was, it was awesome. I've been fortunate to go, you know, half a dozen times or so in my career. And this was my first Monday round, but it was really, really cool. 
to see uh, see everybody getting their week started over there in Augusta with everything that that is about to happen this week. All right, so this is not your first time. Obviously, you've been to uh, Augusta and to the Masters on a several different occasions. I'm curious, is there one lasting memory from Monday, from this year? If there's one thing that will stick with you, what is it? Yeah, probably the one thing that will stick with me is the fanfare around Tiger. Um, I've seen that before. My very first year, I was there on Easter Sunday, and that was in the early 2000s, and I got to see it then. You know, he was in his prime and it was a huge crowd, but here he is coming off of a horrific injury that everybody that's a golf fan is aware of. And, you know, basically really just getting to swing the club again, starting about January. Here we are in April and he's going to play the Masters. So he was there warming up and getting his week started. The fanfare around him on the range was incredible. And then when he moved to the first tee early afternoon yesterday to start his practice round and really get things rolling, you want to talk about a crowd of people moving in a hurry and people running, I mean, sprinting, trying to get in position to just to watch him hit the ball. You know, I'm a fan. I love to watch great golfers. I certainly like to watch Tiger hit it, but uh, it was absolutely incredible just the scene around him. So that's definitely the the most lasting memory that I had. That and the egg salad sandwiches, they're really, really good. Like, uh, I did manage to, to get down three of those. I was there for about seven hours, and my plan was an egg salad sandwich per hour, but I, I ran out of gas at about three, so <laughs> I finally gave up. Uh, very good very good now if in case you you hadn't guessed you may be tuning in and going we're if we're not in the heart of racing season we're very near the heart of racing season like why are we why are we leading this off talking about golf at the masters well obviously it's not every day that you get that opportunity and secondarily um this this episode jet has some has some off-season vibes i mean there is some racing from last weekend we can touch on there wasn't much um, there's some big stuff upcoming. We're going to touch on that. We're going to have a little bit of fun. Um, I guess the, the, the most logical tipping point, seeing as, as we record, I'm sitting in the tower, uh, at Las Vegas motor speedway shouts, Jeff Foster for let me steal a room here in peace and quiet. Um, I guess we'll start with the NHRA four wide nationals here at Vegas. Yeah, as we should, Luke, uh, that was uh, obviously the biggest NHRA uh, race on their side, and you were there. Uh, I, I see that things didn't go quite as scheduled, but uh, you guys, you and your teammate turned on some wind lights, but what stood out for, for you from that event, obviously watching it in person, uh, you, you got to see firsthand the, the people performing well, but what was the most notable? Yeah, I don't think anything like earth shattering here, but obviously I think from every major event, there comes some interesting stories, some good stories. I think the biggest one from here for me was uh, the Open family and their near double. So uh, Papa Open, Ed, winner in Top Sportsman, uh, defeated Mike Furter in the final. If you remember, uh, Ferd runnered up at Phoenix as well. So the last, well, uh, the Gators would have been in between the last two national events out here on the West Coast. Mike Furter has, uh, has advanced to the final round and in both instances had some form of mechanical issue. If you remember, he was shut off on the starting line uh, in the final at Phoenix. He was leaking something. And I don't know exactly what happened here, but he was a tenth above in the final. So obviously some type of, uh, 
something that didn't go as planned, but uh, not to take anything away from Ed Olpen, uh, he's putting together a banner season, despite thirds, two runner-ups, Ed Olpen actually leads the top sportsman um, point standings to this point, obviously uh, thrust into that position off of last weekend's win. Meanwhile, I mentioned Ed Olpen Sr., winning top sportsman, Junior almost du- duplicated that feat. He events to the final round in Supergas in, uh, in a Camaro that I think most of our listeners would recognize. It's Ray Ray's old Camaro. Uh, the Open family bought it maybe about a year ago. And Ed Open Sr. actually won Supergas in that car at Pomona. Uh, Junior drove it to another final here. So they flirted with the double, uh, have had a banner season to this point. Um, Ed Open Senior wins top sportsman junior runner up in Supergas to um, <clears throat> um, to, 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 to Damon. We're gonna have to edit this, Jed. I can't even remember the kid's name. It's Bustamane. Damon. Damon Bustamane. <laughs> uh, Mark, don't leave that in. Leave that in. I'll, I'll take that. Um, Damon Bustamane. It, it was like a little bit of a of a young guns. Um, uh, showing out in the super classes specifically. Bustamante got the win in Supergas. Uh, I believe it's his first national event win, but it was notable because he nearly doubled. Uh, he flirted with a double as well, advanced, I believe, to the quarterfinals in Super Comp, in addition to getting the job done and winning Supergas. Meanwhile, in the 890 category, young Allison McComb got what I believe was her first national event victory. And that sort of highlights what has been a very strong early season run for her. Nothing necessarily spectacular. I believe she lost in the semifinals of Phoenix prior to winning uh, the national event here, but I don't think she's lost prior to round four in the five events here on the West coast. And she is not only leading the super comp standings, like is becoming more and more a legitimate threat to win the super comp world championship. So two young guns getting the wins uh, in the 90 categories out here. Yeah, the young racers showing out and certainly not just showing out in this event. You know, you talk about Allison and getting off to a great start there to to start her national points chase. So um, there's a lot of West Coast dominance happening right now. Obviously, it's West Coast events primarily outside of the Gators, but those those racers are performing well, Luke, and really positioning themselves to to make a serious run. Typically, you, you see those early starts, those uh, good runs happen out here on the East Coast, but they're happening on the West Coast this year in fairly big numbers. So there's some more great performances that we're going to talk about and people positioning themselves well. But um, I think there's still so much racing left on the East Coast. I, I don't know. Does this put pressure on people when they see these people get off to great starts like this? Do you feel any added pressure when you're knowing that you're going to chase the points and and try to compete on a national? Yeah. Well, to your point, I think there's a couple of things in play here. Number one, there's a lot of factors that contribute to this. Part of it is the, the lack of, contingency and prize money involved in NHRA competition at this point. And obviously part of it is the cost of travel today. Um, Like we're out here, obviously from home, uh, but we're sort of the outlier. Like there are some snowbirds out here. There are some, some, some racers enjoying the the Southwestern weather, but by and large, like I would say 80 plus percent of the fields out here are division seven racers. And, and I think, 
that's probably always been the case to some extent, but I do think it's a little bit more exaggerated today for the, the reasons that I just mentioned. And I think you'll see more of that in every region. Like I just think inherently there will be less travel. So yes, there's been more races on this side of the country. So obviously you're going to see racers from this part of the country leading the early point standings. But to your point, like what Allison's doing, or I think more appropriately, what Brad Burton is doing in Stock Eliminator, um, we'll touch on him. He didn't win in Las Vegas. He had an off weekend. Uh, he made it to the semis. I say that that's an off weekend because that's the worst he's done to this point. This <laughs> yes. He's in the four events. He has two wins. He has two semifinals. There's a double divisional at this same facility this weekend. Burton is still here. I mean, it, it's a tall order to continue at that pace. But if he were to put up, say, another final round this weekend, yeah, at some point, the stock eliminator racer in Minnesota that is planning to debut a month and a half from now can look back and say, eh, you know, maybe next year. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. not going to necessarily deter that, that racer and make them stop racing, but just about from any geographic location to, to legitimately make a pursuit of a national championship is a pretty significant like in investment in a lot of ways, but specifically logistically, like just planning getting to six national events and eight divisional events is, it's an undertaking. And so I don't think the success of a Brad Burton and Allison McCone early on is going to necessarily make anybody say, okay, this, this, this isn't, I'm not going to race this year, but it may make them say, okay, this probably isn't the year to push all in and, and, uh, move land and, and fire to, to make my six and eight, like, let's just go to a few races and see how it goes. So yeah, yeah. to that point I, I do. And I, the other element of this that I think we've touched on to some extent, but the way specifically this West coast schedule lays out, and there are other pockets of the, of the, the season in other regions that mirror this to some extent, but there is so much racing here in a condensed period of time. I mean, by the time that this weekend is done, um, within, what, seven weeks on the West Coast, we will have made three national events and four division races. I and mean, that's half of an NHRA season. And wow. so when, with all of that jumbled together, like I think it would be ridiculous to say that momentum doesn't play a role. Right. If you come in firing on all cylinders, get a few breaks, have a good combination, the competition doesn't have a lot of time to recover. And I think there is, in a very real sense, the idea of striking when the iron's hot. If all of that is coming together and momentum is rolling, uh, I think that this type of schedule is very conducive to someone kind of not necessarily running away with the championship, but really staking claim to it before Easter. Yeah, that's the way it's looking, Luke, uh, again, with these great performances out there. And, you know, you just touched on it a little bit ago about, you know, somebody that's starting in a month and a half. And if things go well for a certain racer or two here in Vegas this coming weekend, man, it, it just all but kills your your thought process when you know you have to to basically go to final rounds over and over and over to have a chance to, to match this early start for the Brad Burton's of the world or Allison McCones. It's, it's really challenging mentally. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this impacts the, 
the people on the East Coast or even in the Midwest when they get to start. So I, I, that'll be fun to watch and hear your take on it as we progress through the season. But I, I think those people are going to miss you out there, Luke. You've watched every bit of this. You've had your good performances as well on the racetrack, both on the bracket side and in HRA side. But you've been at every race with these racers. I mean, you're like a West Coast guy. And it's all coming to an end for you here within the next couple of weeks. You're coming back home. So those people are really going to miss you. Big Jed, if we stayed out here another month, my, my bill might start to flatten out. My sock line might get a little higher. At some <laughs> point, it's time to start going home, man. <laughs> I understand completely. I mean, you're already saying stuff like dude and stuff like that. So <laughs> we got to get you back to Southern Illinois. Get you back uh, corn country. I, I will say this about our trip, man. It's been rad. It's really been rad. <laughs> rad, bro. <laughs> and real quick, Luke, uh, Ryan McClanahan is is definitely worth talking about as well. Just really doing what he does out there. Now we mentioned Brad Burton falling in the in the semis. He actually lost a, a close race to Doug Lambeck. Lambeck, by the way, uh, was in multiple finals was in the final round of competition eliminator and stock eliminator came up short in both of them but that's a rare and difficult feat to, to stage for two national event finals in one weekend Lambeck got the double runner-up in stock to your point runner-up to uh former nhra national champion ryan mcclanahan mcclanahan it's a, probably a name that that sounds um certainly is familiar but one that we've mentioned recently as well ryan won super stock at phoenix Follows that up with a stock eliminator win here at Vegas. So uh, similar to Ed Open Senior in that he's already claimed two national event wins uh, just in two different categories. And I'll say this, just A, seeing it in person and then watching it go down the racetrack. What Ryan McClanahan is winning stock eliminator in is a factory stock A automatic Copo Camaro dialed in the 850s here in Vegas, where I would venture to say he's two tenths slow from what we're used to it's an 850 stock eliminator car here um Luke, <laughs> screaming, the dude. final round was he and an a stock automatic car and the a stock car got a full tree head start <laughs> luke a stock i mean the baddest of the bad you know right. prior to seven eight years ago and and he got a full tree head start and it's not a slow a stock it, no. it, what these and factory it, cars are doing is incredible. And the crazy thing about it is I didn't pay that much attention to, to Ryan's setup, but the typical, um, you know, Copo or, or factory stock type setup, the mile per hour is not commensurate with the ET. Like those things spool up and run ridiculous speeds. So he may have been 30 mile an hour advantage over an A stock automatic car in the final. Yeah, well, they're, they're getting to, obviously, the mile per hour. Those cars are running a mile per hour that needs a, a higher level of certification and, you know, parachutes and those type things. So that's crazy to see stock eliminator car, nine-inch tired, prepared automobiles that that need that level of, of certification because of how fast they're running these. And, you know, where does it stop? No, that's a really interesting question. Like, I don't know if you're uh... – familiar with what NHRA had just recently announced, maybe within the last month or six weeks. Um, but there is an opportunity now to get a, like a street legal license. The issue being that 
<clears throat> say a new uh, like there are models of Teslas and 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 Tesla's one example, right? But legit factory drive off the car lot streetcars that not only obliterate the the typical um, ET mark like to need a license, like I think that's eleven ninety nine, but obliterate the ET mark or something capable of beating the ET mark that we would normally say like your car needs to be certified. Like the owner or the track manager at Tucson, we were down there, said that they had a Tesla come in off the street, stage up and go like 987. Oh my goodness. To the quarter, right? But so what NHRA has done is actually adopt uh, a rules package. And I think Lonnie Grimm actually spearheaded this, the, the relatively new national tech director to say like, hey, those cars are fine. Like those those whatever engineering is in place to make those cars safe on the street is, has been deemed accept, acceptable by NHRA to go even those speeds. Um, and, and there's been some pushback on that. Like, I don't, I'm not smart enough or, or engineering inclined enough to say like, yes, that's perfect. That's as safe as my, you know, 990 cert super gas car. I, I don't know that, but that's, that's the ruling that's been made from NHRA basically as a way to, try to accommodate those types of race cars and, and those that market and those types of racers. Uh, like, I think it's forward thinking in a lot of ways to take the next step in our sport potentially. But I did think like, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I, I was, I was, I think pleasantly surprised by to hear that. And I don't completely know the details, but um, it, it doesn't seem like the typical NHRA thing to do to be forward thinking, as bad as that is to say. Um, and also, like, obviously very safety conscious. It, it makes me realize what's going into these new production vehicles at a factory level to seemingly make them safe, even at those ridiculous speeds. Yeah, I mean, you know, who am I to say that that's right or wrong uh, if the experts are saying that this car is capable of keeping the driver safe and the car staying somewhat intact and, uh, and an accident at that speed. And it's, you know, it's going to do what it's intended to do, which is, you know, let the driver get out of it. If they say that's the case, then I trust that. And certainly, uh, certainly hope that never gets proven wrong. So it is interesting uh, that people have had to make quite a bit of changes to their vehicles over the years and you know step up step up their chassis and and things around it safety wise to compete and this car just comes right in and they say yeah it's good and it's ready so it's interesting but again if the experts say it i trust that wholeheartedly and you know uh, they're they're only getting faster so i definitely again hope that's never proven wrong and Lastly, you know, it's kind of crazy to me, but if, if Ryan McClanahan took his stalker and put it in super stock, he would leave second 85% of the time, probably maybe 90. I mean, at that, at 850, that's, uh, that's pretty incredible what they're accomplishing with these cars and, and getting them down the racetrack. So really cool to see. And, um, you know, certainly, um, I enjoy watching that and, and hope to, to see plenty more of that type of racing out of those types of cars. But the sad part is Luke, it's uh, it seems to be slowly weeding out more and more the traditional stalker that we've come to know and love. Uh, you know, the, I know there's some out there and they're competitive and, 
those type of cars still win, but it's uh, it's just weeding them out slowly. And um, again, when an A stock car gets a full tree head start, it's uh, it's just a weird thing to see. Yeah, no, and you can make an argument there either way, like <clears throat> that technology and, and turning of the guard, so to speak, is is probably inevitable. And the flip side, to your point, like there are hundreds of racers in in the in class eliminators, whether it be stock or super stock, that have years, decades, and who knows how many tens of thousands of dollars invested in making those combinations amazing for what they are. Um, and, and then to relatively suddenly, you know, have all of that work be kind of rendered, you don't want to say extinct, but like, I think it's fair to say if we haven't turned that page today, within a decade, I think it's fair to say that, that those cars are simply not going to be as competitive as the faster fuel injected, more expensive, you know, on down the line, like just technology has a way of doing that. Um, and those are two categories, stock and super stock, that in a lot of ways, this sounds sort of um, hypocritical because there is a ton of advancement and in, in technology and in, in forward thinking within those classes, but it's always been confined to a, a sort of a small box, if you will to expand that box now. And you know what I mean is it's gotta be very jarring for a lot of those competitors and probably not particularly well-received. Probably not. You know, if I was a, a bad A stock automatic car or double A stock and, uh, and I've got a $12,000 set of heads on my car that's allowed me to make sure that I can ride to the staging lanes with my chest poked out, that still remains the case today. You can still do that but there's still come, come a point in time where you're going to get over a second head start on uh, a car that, that looks like, you know, it just came ready to, to go in the eights. So that's uh, that's tough on those guys. Cause those guys are typically looking out the windshield instead of the rear view. So well, a little different. An interesting juxtaposition and, and, and side of this argument. Let's talk Justin Lamb for a minute. Like I, I was tempted to lead the show with Justin Superstock winner here at Vegas. And then I thought, nah, that, that, that might be construed as, as me, you know, uh, front running a little bit, right? Beating Justin's drum. Here's the facts. <clears throat> Justin's lamb win, Justin Lamb's win here, which obviously is, is home, right? Justin lives in Henderson, Nevada. I think it's about half an hour from here. Grew up racing here at the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, so he's at every national event here and has been for, what, the last 15 years? He just won his ninth national event at this facility. The only racer that has won more here is Dan Fletcher, pro sportsman, whatever, right? Um, but the, the reason that this ties back into our conversation is that for the last year plus, Justin has been running a Copo Camaro Superstock car, similar to his Copo Camaro Stock Eliminator car. And the Superstocker, like, I'm, I'm not in on the lingo but it is very much it's basically like a factory stock combination very wicked up very on edge very unique like very cutting edge right that would be the the best way that i could put it and with that obviously comes a pretty tremendous learning curve for anyone is even someone as as technically savvy and experienced as justin lamb and i think justin would be the first to tell you that while he feels it 
various times he has turned the corner with that combination, it has very much been a work in progress. It's very much been a learning curve. And even when it's, when he's got it right, like I can just attest to watching him, it looks like it's a lot of work. Okay. (laughs) And so combination of all of those, um, Justin made the decision to park that car in favor of his tried and true Superstock Cobalt, the car that he's won three NHRA World Championships in. And keep in mind, it's been a, a year of figuring out the Copo and by Justin's standards, struggling to some extent. Like he was in back-to-back semifinals with it at the Phoenix Divisional. So don't, don't, don't spend too much time feeling sorry for Justin Lamb. But compared to his expectations, it hasn't been a good year. He brings the Cobalt back out. There was a uh, $10,000 to win stock super stock combo race here at Vegas two weeks ago. Dust the mothballs off the cobalt, fires it up, comes out here, wins seven consecutive rounds, wins that combo race. And then at some point decides, you know what? This car is easier and fun. And like, I kind of know what it's going to do all the time. So I'll just run it at the national event. Six rounds later, he's now 13 and 0 in the cobalt this season. And the as last I was aware, the Cobalt goes back into mothballs in favor of the Copo um, this weekend to run the double divisional. So I guess those are first world problems, having to choose between two amazing <laughs> super stock cars. But just to that, that point, like I do think eventually the technology will be there and be common enough that those cars render the traditional soccer, the traditional super stocker, not necessarily useless, but certainly less competitive. But I'm not completely convinced we're to that point just yet yeah well i definitely hope not and uh you know there's still some traditional super stockers out there too that uh, that are competing and doing well so i i certainly de- didn't mean to uh you know try to kill anyone's hope or dreams because i love to watch those cars and i'm glad there's still a lot of them out there but you know those fast ones are fun to watch too luke i really enjoy that it's nice uh it's a nice uh I guess contrast between the two when you're when you're watching that type of race and and Justin's definitely a guy that that can win in a wheelbarrow. But so speaking yeah. of guys that can win, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say with that latest win, Justin Lamb kind of quietly moves into the the top spot in the super stock standings. Obviously, it's very early in the season, um, but that's a guy that is very accomplished, very talented, now has a win on the heels of back-to-back semis. And I think it's fair to say is very much going to be in contention yet again for what could potentially be his sixth NHR World Championship. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. If Justin decides to contend, he will. He's just uh, he's just got it. Speaking of guys that contend and do well, look, not much really happening on the bracket side of things, but there was a noteworthy performance in Texas at uh, CP Promotions event. I think it was at I-30 Dragway out there. And uh, this guy just, you know, just gets it done. I mean, we, we've we've talked about him at length. We, we have, uh, you know, blushed over him and just really just fallen in love with this guy. But his talent is, is continuing to show – when he gets out on the racetrack, Johnny Brackett racer competed in CP promotions event there at I 30 and, and doubled up and got two 10 K back-to-back wins out there, Luke. And, you know, that's, that's not ringing the, the financial bell like a lot of these big wins do, but you know, they're just as hard to win. And when there's 10 K or more on the line, it brings great talent to the racetrack. 
and JBR just continues to rise above that talent and, and show out just another very, very strong and dominant performance by him. It is funny how we, and we've talked about this before, but how spoiled we've gotten to the point that if, if Johnny Brackett raced for one, ah, 10 grander last weekend, like it's probably not even worth mentioning on the podcast, like 10 grander's are a diamond dozen. It's just the fact that he won back to back that we're even bringing it up. Right. Um, and yeah, to your point, like, I don't, I don't think we can heap any more praise on, on JBR. It's off to a super hot start. Didn't he win um, one of the big races in Gulfport as well a few weeks back? Didn't we touch on that? I think so. Yes. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I, we're going to, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to spoil the end of the show. Um, it is my understanding that Johnny is headed West for spring, spring fling million to this point. Uh, I think all of the money has gone, has left Las Vegas in terms of winners and headed back to Texas or East. And uh, I think that the opportunities for that to happen are potentially a little bit slimmer this year. I don't think we're going to have quite as many travelers, um, but I predict that the trend will continue. And if I have to pick one, JBR is my pick to win Spring Fling Million. I know I'm a little bit ahead of the, the podcast oh. show schedule here, but oh. I'm, I'm going to go out really on a limb there. And, uh, and take <laughs> you just threw it right out there. I'll, I'll save mine for a little while till we preview that event. But, uh, I, you know, that's definitely a, a very bold prediction. I mean, who would think that there's a chance JBR would go to a big race and win it? So you really, really got out of your comfort zone there. But uh, no, nah, all kidding aside. Bold predictions. Bold. <laughs> all kidding aside, that's a good pick, a solid pick. And uh, you definitely um, – give them a run for their money out there for sure. So Luke, that covers pretty much what bracket racing happened. It was noteworthy. Now we're back to another off subject topic, kind of, but we tied it in with some racing. That's our final four wrap up. It's uh, the, the championship game is done. The Kansas Jayhawks rock chalk have collected their fourth national title and they were representing the dial in in our bracket and you know the dial in is as pure uh of invention or uh implement implemented thing in racing as there is and it took the where basketball was invented and basically where bracket racing was invented to come together to get this championship and um it was a really good game. I, you know, we, we have talked about our love for basketball here quite often during this time of year, but that was a heck of a game, uh, North Carolina and Kansas. It went way too late, not for you since you're on the West coast, but out here it was rough. I walked, uh, walked probably eight or nine miles at the masters yesterday and then stayed up till friggin' 11 o'clock or whatever, watching this basketball game. So it's been a rough day, but, um, it was a really good game and the dial in prevailed Luke. Yeah. I mean, it was the bluest of blue, blue bloods in, in terms of college basketball representing like the corest of core ideas in sportsman drag racing. We had tied the Kansas Jayhawks, as you mentioned to the dial in, I mean, the freaking dial in, right? Like, could there be anything more <laughs> instrumental in what we do than the idea of like, Hey, what if you had to predict your ET and then we staggered the start accordingly? Like somebody's light bulb went off, right? Yes. So there's that versus 
the fluid release trans brake, which obviously didn't come along as early in the progression as the dial-in, but that's what we had North Carolina representing, the fluid release trans brake, which to, in today's world of competition, like you could not imagine uh, racing without, right? With, both of them, we, you can't race without dial-ins and you certainly can't have a super pro, you know, style, delay box style drag race without the fluid release trans brake. So those two squaring off, it was the peach basket against four corners. It was the dial in against the fluid release trans brake. We really thought we were throwing it back to the four corners. Like it looked like Carolina was in control of the game, had some untimely injuries. Kudos to the Jayhawks, obviously. The dial in gets it done. Shouts, how, how big of how big of an upset was it for you that auto start did not advance that coach K's uh, career came to an end at the hands of the Tar Heels? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of any basketball team per se, but Alabama. So I've definitely watched this very unbiased and, and just really with an open mind and want to see great basketball, but a little part of me wanted coach K to finish it out with a, with the dream ending and um now not only did that end but it ended at the hands of their arch rival from eight miles down the road and a team that that they've had countless um very intense battles with over the years and certainly there's a, a lot of dislike between those two universities so not only was it not a dream ending it was a nightmare ending for coach K for, for North Carolina to, to eliminate them in the final four. So that was tough to watch. Cause I did, again, part of me wanted to see that happen. Villanova really just got run off the floor by Kansas. Um, you know, that was a, that wasn't just a kill, but it was a dominant performance by Kansas, especially late in the game. And then Kansas to find themselves down like that, the UNC and come back and win just this tournament kind of had everything. Um, you know, and I'm definitely not a Bill Self fan. I'm definitely not a Kansas fan, but uh, you got to give credit where it's due. That team is very, very good. And to come back from what they did to, to get it done was pretty incredible to watch. And uh, they earned their championship. It seemed fitting that Villanova went down just for just the sake of our pool, because like the dragsters versus door car thing, monumental idea within the last decade of our sports made a big change. But when you really put it in the big picture, you know, it, it doesn't really hold a candle to the peach basket. I think, I think, I think we got the right winner. I think it's the dial-in. Yeah, I, I agree. That's uh, the sport as we know it today started right there with that. Basketball as we know it today started with the Jayhawks. So it was fitting. Um, definitely want to get this behind us and figure out a different way to tie all these teams together next year. And hopefully whatever, whatever we're doing here on the podcast can, can – make my team finish a little better. I want my team to at least have something tied to them next year. And you got to go a couple of rounds to get that done. So we'll see how that works. But for, for our listener in Kansas, there's got to be at least one. Um, congratulations. If you're a Jayhawks fan, your, your team uh, earned the championship. Shouts to you. So Luke, um, not a whole lot left to talk about on the show, but we definitely want to preview a couple of really large events. We've got a big event coming up this particular weekend in uh, Montgomery, Alabama at Capital City Motorsports Park, um, formerly known as Montgomery Motorsports Park. And Ben Willis and the ownership team there and the staff uh, put this idea out 
I guess in the fall sometime maybe. Yeah, I remember and, seeing the flyer for this at the Guaranteed Million last year. So okay, and um, they they put out uh, fifty Ks on Friday and Sunday, uh, sandwiching a hundred K event on Saturday. Two fifties and a hundred is a big deal, a real big deal, and it's happening down the road from me about an hour and a half. So I'm pretty excited. I'll be there, and uh, looks like the the turnout's going to be really good. They capped this thing at three fifty. And, you know, they, they had many, many months from the time it was introduced to the time that it's going to happen. So it's been a bit of a slow go. But as always, uh, this thing's happening this weekend and it's getting a lot of interest. Ben's collecting quite a few entries and it looks like they are within just a, maybe a peach basket of, of filling this thing up. There's maybe 20 entries or so left. So. Uh, looks like it's going to be all over a full field, and I'm sure it's going to be an extremely talented field. The racetrack there is really good and really smooth. And uh, as I mentioned in uh, the a previous show, after coming from Montgomery, Ben's done incredible things with the facility. You can now enter the staging lanes from out in that field behind the staging lanes. He's got that opened in the back with a road coming up into the staging lanes. And uh, it's got a road, a real road coming down through the middle of that field where a lot of people park. So, uh, and, you know, improving the facility is an understatement. What they've done there, uh, they have done incredible things, but they're just continuing to find ways each and every opportunity to, to make the place better. And uh, it's definitely going to be the place to be this weekend and, and looking for a really big crowd and Again, I'm going to be a part of it, so I'm uh, I'm hoping to grab a wind lighter to myself. To this point, there have been certainly notable bracket events, really on both sides of the country. Uh, we've discussed some of them at length, but I think it's fair to say that over the next two weekends, we will have this race that we're talking about now in Montgomery at Capital City Motorsports Park. Uh, this is the the richest event on the East Coast to this point in the calendar year. Next weekend, obviously, the Springfield Million comes to Vegas, certainly the richest event on the West Coast all season, uh, much less to this point in the year. So that would garner a lot of attention, both of those events, uh, regardless and rightfully so. I feel like there will be more eyes than ever on these two events for a variety of reasons this time around. The first being like, I think people are really intrigued to see what the turnout is because like we all see the impacts of inflation and rising gas prices and we realize that the cost of living living has gone up pretty significantly right and 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 with no real end in sight the question is and we've debated this to some extent before jed like how much if any impact is this going to directly have on our sport and, and if it does Will we see it immediately or will we see this on down, whether it's months or perhaps years down the road? Your boots on the ground, like obviously you're very close to this event, Montgomery. It sounds like pre-entry sales are very strong. Do you think that there will be any impact there? Do you expect to see a, a sold out or nearly sold out event with the typical names and the typical places um, this weekend in Montgomery? Luca, you know, you you will never really know how much it slows things down because you're going to have so many people that say, Oh, I can't, I'm not going doing that. I can't afford the fuel. It's too high. But 
where you're really going anyway. You never really know who was going and who wasn't and who's using that as their excuse this time around. But for the most part, I was just there for their first bracket series event and the, the Verge Motorsports thing that we talked about. Uh, the crowd was huge. It had little to no impact, you know, visually to me. Um, so this thing being so close to sold out, I don't feel has an impact uh, at this point. I feel like people are just deciding, yeah, you know, feels double what it was costing, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to gamble it anyway and go uh, take my chances and try to win that big money. I, I think the, the big prizes and the good time and the good facilities right now are overriding people's worry, if you will, about what fuel prices are going to do. And they've stabilized, although they suck, they've stabilized. And they, if anything, they've trickled down just a lick, you know. So I think everybody's taken the hit and adjusted and they're good to go and ready to go race. And I look for things to be very good at Spring Fling Million as well. Yeah, I want to transition and, and have this same discussion around that event. First, give me a you you fingers on the pulse more than I have got something in mind, but give me a bold prediction. Give me a hundred thousand dollar winner from Montgomery. Well, it would be easy to pick champ because he just come off of a huge performance there at Montgomery in the fall. And, you know, he's won pretty much everywhere he's been as he's gotten back into racing over the last uh, close to a year. But I'm going with the guy's just super hot. He's just confident. He doesn't seem to make a lot of mistakes and his equipment looks just as good as him. I'm going to go with Jeremy Hancock. I, I like to pick Jeremy for whatever reason. He's a Georgia Bulldogs fan, which, you know, that's hard for me to, to pick a guy that likes Georgia Bulldogs, but um, I love him so much. I just get around all that. And uh, so I'm going to pick Jeremy Hancock to collect that hundred thousand dollar payday on Saturday. And um, you know, at, Again, you can pick the popular picks, and there's going to be many of them there, and they'll make their noise. But Jeremy just seems to go about his business really well, and he's turned on a lot of wind lights right now. So I just feel like he's coming in confident and ready to do it, Luke. I got a little mixed up, and to be completely honest, Jed, like I, I, like I often do, I wasn't really paying that much attention. Did you just say Jeremy Hancock was good looking? Oh, really good looking man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable enough that I can say who looks good and who don't. Jeremy Hancock is smoke show. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got pretty race cars. Okay. And yeah, really nice race cars. Sure. Okay. I like it. I, I appreciate that, that commentary <laughs> all the way around. Um, I'm going to go again. Like I'm all about the, the bold predictions today. I'm going way out on a limb. Given his recent success, my pick to win the $100,000 main event in Montgomery is one Corey Galetti in a dragster. Yeah, I think he still remembers oh. one of those two. Yeah, now, I don't think Corey was, it will give him a chance, himself a chance in anything but a dragster at this event. But um, he's super hot right now. Not just the way he looks. He's a good-looking kid. <laughs> but... He's super hot on the racetrack and stuff with doors, Luke. He's just won again this past weekend in one of the McCarty's uh, race cars, and it had doors on it. So very interesting to see the transition Corey's made as he's come out east and raced with Team McCarty. But I would bet he'll be in 
in two weeks with doors, right? Yes, yes. Now that's, that's the uh, thing. Like, I feel like the narrative already, I can hear the people talking. The door car side is easier. Look at what Corey's doing. He's going to shut them all up. He's going to win a hundred grand with a big, long, smoky burnout. <laughs> well, he'll be in a long car for sure. At least one, maybe two. And uh, yeah, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. So another, uh, another solid pick by you. I would look for that pick to to give you a, a chance at uh, being right about that. So, um, so it's going to be a good crowd. It's going to be a great payday and it's definitely going to be really nice weather, sunny uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So look forward to reporting back here on the show about how that went when we get back together. Luke, you are going to be as a, as a former champion of this event at the spring fling million. And uh, that's going to be three weeks in Vegas for you uh at events back to back to back and a place that you know very well and a place that your equipment performs well so i know we'll talk about the event and how we feel about how it's going to go car count wise and so on and so forth but you know as you enter something like this as a former champion the guy that held the trophy does that you know, we talked about pressure earlier. Do you feel any of that? Do you, is there any type of feeling that goes along with that success, whether it's pressure or comfort or what? Uh, I was going to say no, just because I feel like I've reached a point in my racing where I'm pretty comfortable with the results. Like I'm very confident that I'm going to put my best foot forward. And I think we can all realize that that's not necessarily commensurate with turning on wind lights period, much less all the wind lights. Right. Um, so if things fall into place, things fall into place. Um, I think it's very easy and, and it's something that, that I don't think I, or maybe anyone is completely immune to, although I feel like I do deal better with it than I used to. Uh, there is certainly a burden of expectation that comes with any success, I think. Um, and that's 99% of that is internal. Like we, we tend to, to, to think about what other people are thinking or, or assume that, that the people watching expect us to win. When in reality, uh, people are far more concerned with themselves than they are about anything that we're doing, right? Ourselves included. Um, so the, the reality is like, you know, we, we think that people are thinking of, uh, of us and, and in turn, they're not like that people are thinking of themselves just like we are. So I think putting that into perspective is, is, is really important. And, um, but yeah, I think it's very easy to put added pressure on yourself, um, you know, as a, a, a reigning champion or a, or a past event winner at a big event. Um, but I would like to think personally, it's, it's something that doesn't cross my mind a whole lot. The reason I kind of chuckled when you brought this up is that literally every time that we have been to town on this trip, I mean, obviously you drive down the interstate and you see the buildings of the strip. Every time my eight-year-old son points to the Cosmo and says, daddy, we stay in there after the million. <laughs> so we spoiled him a little bit and i and every time my response is well nobody's ever won it twice so we're banking on mommy so my pick to win is is obviously jessica bogacki that's that's where i'm gonna go there um 
that would still work out really well for the Bogacki family. 100%. Gary told me the other day, he asked if we were both running super pro at the flame. I said, yes, there's only one class. And he says, okay, cool. So if you guys both make it to the final, I'm just going to go ahead and get in the limo because we win no matter what. (laughs) Thinking ahead. I like it. (laughs) He's got a plan. I like his plan. So I don't, I don't know how realistic it is, but I like his plan. What is your feel? What's your vibe out there? Are you are you talking to a, a lot of the guys that are running? So you've run a large bracket race out there already, and you've run a local bracket race. You've run quite a bit of NHRA stuff. Are you hearing much from the guys and gals that you're sharing the lanes with about the event? Are they excited about it, going to be there? What, what are you thinking right now? Yeah, I think there's always a lot of excitement around the Spring Fling Million, and particularly when it's here out West, just because there is such a, a, a dearth of opportunity to race for this type of money out here. But to your point on like what to expect car count wise, unlike the race that we just talked about in Montgomery, there's no pre-entry, there's no cap, there's no minimum. Um, there is a, a guaranteed $250,000 purse to the winner, regardless of car count, obviously would go up if we get over 250 cars in the million, uh, which it hasn't done recently. I know that last year when Bo Butler won, there was 231 entries. And I don't expect it to crest that. Um, but it's interesting how many different opinions you can get on this, even from out here, like trying to put my finger on the pulse of it, because there are so many variables. I think specific to this event and this location over most of the other races that we would talk about right obviously we talked about the the increase you know cost of travel certainly and cost of living in general and i've said i said on a previous episode that i feel like the the market like the clientele that makes something like the spring fling happen is more uh, resilient to, to increases like that than most. Like it's a very, it's a, it's a high-end clientele, right? That, that by and large, if they wanna come, they can come, right? And they can afford to come. Um, the flip side of that here is just the geography of this event because any facility alone, like I don't care if you went to Norwalk and I don't know if this has changed because they, they were basically shut down for a year, but Norwalk's what I always think of when like the, the strongest weekly bracket program in the country and and so many area racers that that could potentially support a big event at Norwalk there are very few facilities and I would actually venture to say there are no facilities that could support an event like the Spring Fling Million based on their local crowd only right that's not going to happen in Las Vegas is no different the so wherever you have an event like this you are very much dependent on getting the regional racers to travel to it the issue here on the west coast is that regional has a whole different dimension a different meaning to it than what we're used to in our part of the country in that for this race to work yeah you need to draw cars from southern california which is like five hours away and you need to draw cars from the phoenix area which is six hours away but you also need to draw cars from denver which is 11 hours away. You need to draw cars from Northern California, which is 12 to 14 hours away. You need to draw cars from Idaho and Washington, which are like a day's worth of driving away. You know what I mean? Like 24 hours worth of driving away. (laughs) 
it's so spread out here that I could see the argument, hey, gas prices going up is like really going to affect this because of the distance that people have to travel, the amount of fuel that they have to burn, not to mention time off work with the increasing cost of living, et cetera, right? So there is that argument that like, this is really going to get hurt. And then I say like, there are variables. A year ago, okay, and, and we'll get into our, our predictions. We had a monster crowd here. There's 430 entries on Wednesdays, 30 grander. And I'm not even sure that that was the biggest day, but that's a general like 430, right? And 231, as I mentioned, in the million. So we've got these potential deterrents for this year. The flip side is that they had that crowd a year ago and neither border was open. They had no Mexico support. They had no Canada support. Both borders are open. There, I can tell you just from the crowd at Tucson, there will be significant Canadian support. Like that Western Canada area, A, there's a lot of racers up there. There is, uh, the, you know, strong racers and, and affluent racers there that are willing to travel and able to travel. And they are chomping at the bit to get out of Canada, right? So they're going to be here, uh, like in, in pretty strong number, I believe. And this race has always drawn a very significant um, following from Mexico. I mean, like 30 plus entries. And I would expect that to come back. So does that offset or maybe even more than offset the racers that you lose that perhaps uh, aren't willing to travel from, say, the East Coast or from the farther out areas out here? Um, I don't know. Like that's that's going to be the, the the give and take. Plus, it gets it's going to get a little bit muddled this year because for the first time, um, I believe for the first time, they're allowing double entries, same car, same driver here at the fling. Now, even if you just had the same crowd, I, I'm not going to suspect that every racer will double enter. I'm not even going to suspect that half of the racers here last year would have double entered. But even if you have the same crowd, like your entry numbers are going to go up pretty measurably just because you can buy two entries. How much of that, how much does that play a role? Like, I feel like there's a ton of variables here that go into making this prediction. And I'm going to throw it to you, Jed. Like, what is the prediction? The, the, the biggest day of the 30 granders, what's the entry count? And then the million itself, where's the entry count? Again, just for reference, a year ago, it was 430-ish in the 30 granders, 231 in the million. Uh, so, Luke, you make some really good points about the borders being open and the, the impact that the, the country above and the country below that geographic area um, will have on the event because of past support and the fact that they were forced to skip it. It wasn't by choice. They were forced to skip it and not allowed to participate. So I definitely think there's a, a lot of eager racers out there that want to get back to the spring playing million and be a part of it. I do think there will be some drop off from the people that were able to attend because everybody just can't always go back. But I think the, the surrounding borders being open will allow it to, to catch back up. I look for uh, the, I look for the thirties to be, all over where they were last year. I actually think that number can get to 450. And typically you're going to see the million have roughly half of the, the surrounding race entries entered in the big show. 
here lately, these million dollar races have, have been above the 50% mark, but I think that's going to get right back to about the 50% mark. And I think you're going to see 225-ish in the, in the million itself. I'd look for the event to, to have a very similar feel to last year, car count wise. And Peter has continued to work hard and, you know, improve his brand in there's not many areas where he can improve it, but he's definitely working hard to improve it all that he can. And I think he's made some great changes and I look for those to have a very good impact with the double entries and so on and so forth. So I'm going to say 450 and exactly half 225 in the million. We're along similar lines. Jed. I'm, I'm bullish. I feel like as well compared to, to some of the people that have heard talk about this. One, a couple of interesting points that I'll, I'll throw out to, to kind of support my theory. And again, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. I had said, I think I'd said on a previous podcast episode, or I'd certainly have been thinking that the quote unquote East Coast support, like the Texas East support should in theory be down. Like it's just so expensive to get out here. And it's so far to get out here. Um, with that said, like I know and, and again, this is listing off the names that you'd probably expect to be here anyway. I mentioned Johnny Brackett Racer. I'm under the impression that he's coming. I know that the Penningtons are coming. Uh, I know that Troy and Gary Williams are coming. Um, and uh, I can't imagine Verdi not making the trip, right? That seems to be a tradition. He'll be here. He'll be here, right? So I maybe that, that uh, presence of the quote-unquote East Coast, maybe that won't be down as, as much as I think. Like, I feel like you make these plans so far in advance that even the idea now that it's going to cost an extra, I don't know, thousand dollars to, to get here and back, maybe, yes, yeah, somewhere in that range. Um, I don't know that that's going to deter a lot of folks. And I actually heard an interesting comment. I don't know how true this is, but from the West Coast racers and specifically like some of the California racers, basically the comment was something along the lines of like, yeah, um, gas is higher than it's ever been. But gas has been ridiculous here for a couple of years. Like we're up yeah. a dollar a gallon, right? Where everybody else is double. Like for us, it's, it's not optimal, but that's not going to keep me from going. Right. And Good so point. I wonder if there's some of that effect as well. I'm actually, when you combine that, the borders, the double entries, I'm actually going to go even higher than you had, had predicted big jet, which I think would surprise a lot of people. And I may be way off, but I will say they crest 500 on the biggest day of the thirties. I'm similar to you in thinking that if anything's going to be down a touch, it's the million. I will say very similar to you. You said 225. Last year was 231. I don't think that they crest 250 to, to increase the purse over that guaranteed quarter million dollars. Uh, but I think it comes in just short of it. I will say 530s. I will say 237 in the million. Okay. So very similar numbers between the two of us. And, um, Certainly, uh, that's another great point that you made about the fuel prices out there, that they've experienced high fuel prices for quite some time. So the, the percentage of increase there is certainly not what we've seen out here. So hopefully that has less of an impact than, uh, than I, you know, my gut tells me. And um, I'm and hoping that... To this point, like between the, the Canaan Southwest Showdown in Tucson, which is the only real bracket race that could give you any type of gauge out here but also the, the nhra events out here like nothing's been down you know what i mean like we're all still here so i 
again, I, I'm bullish and I could be proven wrong, but I, I think they're going to have a really big crowd. And there is so much already, you can feel it here, uh, you know, a week before the gates even open for the spring fling, like there is already kind of an electricity in the air. Like this place gets pretty special. This area, I feel like this region in general longs for events like this. And when Peter and Kyle brought it out here, it really, the supply finally met the demand. And even now, you know, what, what are we six, seven years into the, the West Coast million? Uh, it still is a is an atmosphere more, I think, similar to like the the 2000 million than today's East Coast million, if that makes sense, just because it's new. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And again, those are all uh, things that I hope have a positive impact on uh, on the event. And I hope that, you know, the the racers out there uh, are cherishing this event and doing all they can to make sure that it lives as it stands today and that they, uh, you know, kick gas prices in the manscaped area and, and show up in big numbers and support Peter and, and can't wait to, to see it. I can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to hear it. I, I'm, you know, again, uh, sad that I won't be able to attend. That's uh, that's an event that I love and that's an area that I love. And the atmosphere, as you mentioned, is always electric out there around an event like this or, or a big event of any kind. So it's going to be awesome. I know it is. And, um, you mentioned the East Coast flavor that's going to be there. I'm sure sugar's going. I know I've seen Scott Lemon and, and Mike Fuquay and Burns teaming up in a trailer to haul a bunch of cars out there and race. So there's going to be some East Coast flavor out there for sure. And a lot of East Coast talent and all those people we mentioned are capable of winning. Now, Luke, uh, we got to pick. You know, that's what we do. We got to pick somebody to win this race. And, I'm on uh, record. I went a little bit jet on him. I picked both Johnny Braggart Racer and Jessica Bogacki. So I think that uh, it's on you. Yeah, you did say that. I apologize. I forgot you said that earlier in the show. I have a pick and I'm going West Coast this year. And I'm I'm saying a young gun's going to show out and do his thing out there. And it's going to be Race Kid. Uh, Race Kid's going to show up and he's going to be confident and he is going to collect the spring fling million dollar check and trophy and all will celebrate because the kid family's awesome and he's an awesome kid. So it's going to be really fun to watch. That's always a good pick out here on the West coast. And I think, uh, a, I always root for, uh, for Mark and for race. So I'd be happy with that. I think it would be a great scene because while they're not here yet, their name is on the pavement right next to the, the, the names of Gary and Jack that, that Sally had marked out on the pavement for our pit spot. So like, I would get to share in that to some extent. That'd be cool. Oh my goodness. Yes. Whether you win or your neighbors win, there's always a celebration. So that'll be cool for you and and the kid family as well. So good picks, a good uh, preview of two great events. And when we get back together, we're definitely going to talk about those results Luke and, uh, and whatever else happens within racing sportsman drag racing. In the meantime, uh, that's pretty much bringing us to a close. Unfortunately, um, you know, we we have to talk about sometimes important news within the sportsman racing community. And this is the kind of news that we definitely don't like to talk about, but it needs to, to have a quick uh, discussion from us. And that is our good friend, Bob Onkifer, 
Um, Bob is a, is a well-known announcer on the NHRA side. He's done his share of uh, other events, bracket racing and, and other special events. Tremendous announcer, tremendous talent. And uh, Bob has got a serious battle on his hands, Luke, that has uh, taken a turn that, that we don't like seeing. And it, it's got it's got Bob hanging on and, and certainly fighting for everything he's got to stay with us. And we just want to wish our thoughts and prayers and best wishes out to uh, to Unc, as he's known throughout the uh, racing community. And, and certainly, um, you know, God's will be done and whatever that is. And, um, you know, we, we want Unc to, uh, to have peace and comfort through a very, very challenging time. And we, we wish the best to him, his family, and all the friends that he's impacted over the years. So hang in there, Unc. We're pulling for you. Yeah, 100%. This is this was been very jarring news to me because just a few weeks ago, like I saw and heard Ankh on the mic in, in Phoenix and, and certainly to the voice, like everything seemed fine. And it is just a, a reminder as to how brutal this disease can be and how quickly it can move. And I don't know um, the details of exactly what Ankh is fighting, but I'll certainly echo your sentiments, Jed, and, and uh, wishing him to uh, to keep up the good fight, obviously, and, uh, and and that we're all thinking of him. And at the same time, if and when this progresses to the point that uh, that that fighting is is not so relevant, uh, obviously, just wish him um, the least amount of pain and the most amount of peace possible. Uh, if and when it comes to that point, so we're thinking of Young. Yeah, well said, Luke. So that brings us to a close. Uh, tough way to close the show, but it was a good show nonetheless. And, and we certainly um, talked about a lot of great things as well. And we're looking forward again to uh, to discussing these two events that we previewed when uh, it's all said and done. We get back together. Um, if uh, you got some thoughts or anything that you want to hear more of or less of or whatever about the show, we've got a way for you to tell us. You just go right there to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, and you can post it for the world to see, and uh, that information will get to Luke and I, and we we can see what you had to say and see what uh, thoughts you have about this show or any show. And um, if you don't like for everybody to see what you got to say, you can send in a private message. We get those quite often. Producer Mark intercepts those, and he'll get that information to us as well. So if you got some thoughts or anything you want to share with us uh, through uh, our, our social media outlet there on Facebook, by all means, reach out to us and tell us, and um, we would love to hear from you for sure. Luke, uh, you got to have some shouts. I know there's it's shout time, and looking forward to it. Shouts to the Masters, shouts to Tiger, shouts to Bubba, shouts to Boo Weekly, oh. shouts to Implementated. I love it when you make up words, Big Jen. <laughs> shouts to Matt Driscoll. I sincerely doubt that Matt Driscoll listens to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, but when you said our one listener from Kansas, Matt was the first person that came to mind. I think mainly because he's a huge Jayhawks fan. So Rock Chalk, shouts to Matt. Shouts to Peach Baskets in general. We had a lot of Peach Basket references uh, here on the show. And shouts to handsome young men everywhere. Yes. But specifically, Jeremy Hancock and Corey Galetti. Two really 
good looking dudes great job on the shouts luke and yes i will make up a word or two along the way and i appreciate you picking that up um you know that's just who i am and uh, i don't think anybody would want that to change so <laughs> it's just i don't know my brain gets scrambled sometimes when i'm trying to talk but nonetheless uh that's uh, that was a great list and uh certainly luke and i are very active on the twitter if you like to tweet please tweet at us is that do you tweet at somebody or do you just at somebody hell i don't know Jim. okay it was something like that I mean, at us because i've heard you say don't at me so i'm just going to say at us Get at us. Do at us. And uh, Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I I am at JP11X. I hadn't been tagged in anything in Twitter in, I don't know, months. So somebody just put a post out and put my my tag out just so I know that you heard this part of the show or what. I mean, this is ridiculous. We have tens of listeners. And for nobody to, to at me on Twitter and tag me in any kind of post, is utterly ridiculous and that combination of words goes very well together i don't care who you are so get Shout at me on, on twitter the next podcast to the first tweet that i see that says at jp11x is a very good looking young man <laughs> somebody somebody do it i need to see that all right guys thanks for listening we really appreciate it heck of a show awesome time with you we appreciate you sticking with us through golf basketball and certainly racing and we look forward to talking to you again real soon about more sportsman drag racing Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.